theyeshiva.net. So, today we begin a new mimer, but a, a semi-new mimer. <laughs> I'll explain what I mean. In the last two weeks, we learned the mimer of the Balatanya, the Alter Rebbe's mimer, in Torah Er Parshas Yisroi, on the words of Chala Amroyim, Chala Amroyim as Hakoylois, Vesa, Vesa Lapidim. Uh, I'm hearing myself. <laughs> okay, helpful. Chala Amroyim as Hakoylois, Vesa Lapidim, Veskoyla Shaifer. After the revelation of the Ten Commandments on Sinai, the Torah says the whole nation, the entire Am, the entire people, the entire nation saw, they observed the koilets, the sounds, as halapidim, the torches, the fire or the lightning, and the sound, the voice that came from the shofar, the sound of the shofar. And the Torah continues, Vesahar Ashik. And they saw the mountain smoking. They saw the smoking mountain. Vayara Om Vayanu. The nation saw this and they trembled. They were shaken. Vayamdu Meirachak. And they stood from a distance. They stood far away. That was the Pasuk. On Shvuas Tovkov Samachai. The holiday of Shavuos of the year Tovkov Samachai, 1805, the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shnei Zalman of Liadi, the Balatanya, said a mimer on those words, that made its way into Torah Er Parshish the last mimer, that we have been learning over the last two weeks, four classes, in which he explored what was the meaning of the Shavuos, and Mayim, fire, and water, and longing, and returning, and the heart expanding, and the heart, we, we explained the connection to the heart expanding, and the heart retracting, and inhaling, and exhaling. And from this he went in to discuss how the Torah came down here below, after a long preparation, in which the physicality, and then he went back to discuss the Shoifer, and finally discussed how the nation saw the Koilos, and the Lapidim, Koilos represents the sound waves, the revelation of the source, which is comparable to water that flows downward, lapidim, the fire, which is comparable to fire, that expresses the two elements of Dalit Column 3. You'll see the second paragraph. He says, V'esahar Ashit. Now it seems that on that Shavuos, 1805, the Alter Rebbe said two Maimar, at least two. One was the first part, V'chalam Remus HaChez Lapidim and then the same Shavuos, he said a second Maimer, which is both a continuation, but it's also, he continues it, and it was also the same Shavuos. But nonetheless, it's still a self-contained Maimer because it explores a new topic that was not explored in the previous Maimer. That's why I said it's a new Maimer or it's a semi-new Maimer. Okay. That's the introduction, and now let's begin. Ve'esahar ushers, purpose in the lightning, purpose in the shofar. There was obviously also a purpose in the mountain smoking, that when they looked at Mount Sinai, when they looked at Har Sinai, they saw smoke. The mountain was smoking. And this is an important detail. And how do we know it's an important detail? Because the Torah repeats it a few times. 
And if the Torah repeats it a few times, obviously it's not just a detail that's vital, like every detail. The nation trembled. And Moshe took the Jewish people like the smoke of a fiery furnace and everybody trembled. And the sound of the shofar went stronger besides the lightning. An indispensable component was also the smoking mountain. And that's why after the Ten Commandments, it says the whole nation saw the sounds, the lightning, the sound of the shofar, and Eshahar Ashen and the mountain smoking. Explain now the significance of the smoke. Now let's remember, just as an introduction, simply from a very physical point of view, which I think will help us understand a few things he says. What are the sources of smoke? When we speak about physical smoke. So we know today that smoke is caused by burning things, whether it's suit partners, purpose in the lightning, purpose in the shoifer. There was obviously also a purpose in the mountain smoking. That when they looked at Mount Sinai, when they looked at Har Sinai, that there are in smoke, the more visible the smoke is. And these are present in the smoke when it burns. Now, how is smoke produced physically from a physical point of view? So smoke occurs whenever there is incomplete combustion, everything is burnt, producing just water and carbon dioxide. When incomplete combustion occurs, and the smoke is a collection of tiny unburnt particles, if you wish. Sometimes we know that uh, smoke is made of incomplete combustion, and uh, you know sometimes you see smoke, smoke in the air. People wonder what causes smoke in the air, and it's because of the heating at least I think what we know today, it's because of the heating of the Earth's surface during the day, and the air just above the surface becomes heated, and it expands. So in turn, it begins to rise, and since it is lighter, resulting in vertical movement in the atmosphere, so the more unstable, the higher the smoke will be lifted. Now, what... What substances, what materials produce a lot of smoke? This will also be discussed. So most fires, right, have the fuels that come from wood or paper or plastics, petroleum, textiles, whatever it is. And when these fuels don't burn completely because, as I said, a deficiency of oxygen, so conversion of carbon into carbon dioxide and water is impeded. So as a result of that, free carbon, or what they call soot, appears as smoke. One more detail that I want to tell you before we begin is that smoke can also be flammable. It's not always, but smoke can be flammable. Because smoke, again, is produced by incomplete combustion of fuel and fire. So this leaves unburned fuel in the smoke, especially dark black smoke. And that can ignite when the ideal combination on fuel, heat, and oxygen is reached. Now, after we gave this introduction, thank you, we'll be able to understand much more what Alter Rebbe is saying. If you didn't understand everything I said, it's fine, I also did it. Says the Alter Rebbe, the people saw 
the mountain smoking. Hine Ashon, what is smoke? Ashon, why they shenechaz or bedover gashmi sheyesh ba yisoid ha'afar. Smoke is caused when the fire catches on and is burning something that's physical and it has the component of earth inside of it. It has what's called the element of earth inside of it. So then offer is created, then ashan, smoke is created. So this is a metaphor. In the, when the process of transforming the animal consciousness, which comes from noiga, which comes from what's called in Kabbalah, klipas noiga, a translucent shell, it eclipses the oneness of divinity, but it's a translucent shell. In other words, it can be elevated, it can be cultivated. And when that transformation is happening, the midst of metamorphosis, that is called smoke. <laughs> that is what, what, what smoke is. Let's remember what we just said. Smoke is always created because there's a fire. As he says, the fire, the oil, the fire, is nechaz badavar gashmi. There are burning things. There are, are physical things that are burning. But smoke occurs when there is incomplete combustion. Incomplete. So this is what Alter Rebbe is saying. It's fascinating how it works out spiritually. And that is, the smoke means that the fire caught on. If there's no fire, there's no smoke, right? Where there's smoke, what do they say? Where there's smoke, there's fire. But it's a different level. And that's the process of transforming the animals. And I want to explain what he means. What he, what he means. Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Jewish people a few times, Hashem God is a consuming fire. God is a fire that eats up. Now, many people, when they hear these verses... That makes them feel queasy and uncomfortable. You know, why describe God this way? It feeds into that feeling, you know, that Hashem is, is a scary word. You know, it's like a fire that's, that eats you up. Moshe says it. Hashem But the Alter Rebbe, at the end of Tanya, the, 30, 20, the 53rd chapter of Tanya, it's literally the last theme of Tanya, tells us the deeper meaning of Moshe Rabbeinu's words, something fantastic, something so powerful and empowering. Fire can't exist without it being fueled. The fire needs to eat something up. Something has to give. Something has to yield. Something has to be consumed in fire. It's fire that eats. It needs to eat. In a vacuum, the fire will not be able to be maintained. I can light a newspaper on fire, <coughs> but in a few seconds, the fire is out. So a candle has the wax or the oil, and the oil needs to be replenished in order that the wick should burn. If you have twigs, it's going to be a very short-lived fire. You need logs, and the logs burn all night. You remember when you went to uh, beaver wax, the campsites, and made campfires in camp, right? And there's those boys stay up all night and put the wood in the fire and roast marshmallows and hot dogs and then make eggs in the morning with beans. <sighs> Fighting the mosquitoes. So the fire needs to be given something to eat, to consume. So Moshe Rabbeinu says as follows, Hashem Alekecha Eish Godliness is a consuming fire. 
something has to give, something has to be burnt up, which means in very practical terms. The only way I will experience the divine fire in my life is if it's changing something in me, if it's transforming something in me, if it's creating an impact, if something is being is being consumed, if something is being elevated, if something is being challenged or something. There's no such a thing as experiencing Hashem in complacency, in, in smugness. That's why in life, if I want the fire to burn today like it burnt yesterday, I need to put a new fuel. You can't expect the candle of yesterday to burn today unless you add oil. You have to add oil. What does it mean to add oil? Something new in me has to be transformed. And every day we have an opportunity because every day there's always a new awareness, a new experience, what we call today a new trigger. (laughs) There's something that you're going to come across that allows me to elevate my animal soul anew in addition to what happened yesterday or a week ago or a year ago. And only then will the fire burn. Now, some people want to rely on the fire that burned last year, that burned a decade ago, that burned two decades ago. No. Fire, Hashem something has to be eaten up. Something has to give. In other words, a relationship with God is that I'm being challenged every day. I'm being stimulated every day. I'm being cultivated. I'm cultivating something. I'm transforming something. Every day I have an opportunity to discover a new part of my animal soul, my animal consciousness, and work on it. That work creates fire. And that work creates smoke. Because smoke is not something that gets burnt up completely. It doesn't get burnt up completely. But it's affected. It's impacted by the fire. That's what smoke is. So the smoke of the mountain represents that the mountain is not going to go up in a flame. There's going to be a mountain. Mount Sinai remained but it was affected by the fire. It was transformed by the fire. My animal soul doesn't cease to be. It remains an animal consciousness, but it's affected. It's educated. It's enlightened. It's cultivated. It's sublimated. That's the smoke. And that's the connection to the previous Mimer. The whole Mimer before spoke about that the Torah could come down into the physical world only after the physical was made to be a conduit as a result of the pain in Egypt the superficiality and the coarseness of externality has been shedded. The layers of superficiality and falsehood are shedded, and now the physical can become what it really is, a conduit for the insight, for the infinite. And that's why Ratzay and Shoiv, which is the sounds and the lightning, could be expressed in the physical mitzvah. And it's synthesized through the Shoifer, which transcends both of them. Why? Because the mountain was a smoke. Because the physical world was now on fire. Aha. The body was on fire. The mountain, which is Yisoyed offer the element of earth, a mountain, the mountain was smoking. This represented the fact that the Gashmi, the physical, was transformed. That was the, the, the vessel for Matan Torah. This connection, it's not so clear here, but the Tzamach Tzedek, in his rendition of this Maimer, the Tzamach Tzedek in Torah, makes that, that very clear. And adds that Oshon, it seems like the Alter Rebbe said this, Oshon, is a combination of three words. It's an acronym of Oilam, Shana, Nefesh. Esahar Ashe. The mountain of smoke represents Oilam, Shana, Nefesh. Sefi Yitzira, the foundational book of Kabbalah, is based on these three dynamics. Oilam is space, Shana is time, and Nefesh is soul. Oilam literally means the world, that's the space. Shana is a year, that's time. 
and we know time and space work together. And then there is nefesh, which is the presence, the consciousness that pervades a particular moment in a particular space, like right now. It's 8.05 in the morning, Monday morning, Chavtes Shvat, the 29th of Shvat, 5.782, January 31, 2022. This moment in time will never repeat itself. Never. It never was. It never will be. There will be another Chavtes Shvat, but it won't be Tavshin Pei Beis. It'll be Tavshin Pei Gibel. It'll be Tavshin Pei Dalet. There will be another January 31. <laughs> but it's not going to be 2022. So we have now a combination of three things. Every one of us is in a particular space, right? I'm sitting at my desk. The Baden is sitting at his desk. Some of you are in the car. Some of you are walking. Some of you are sitting at your, on your couches or your tables, wherever you're sitting. That's the physical space. There's also the spiritual space. What mo- mental space are you in? Yeah. There is the time. There is the moment. And then there is the nefesh. There's the presence that you bring into that space and that time. It's called Olam Shana Nefesh. Every experience in life, every moment in life, every space in life is a combination of all three. There is the space where you are, there is when it is, and what we bring into the experience. Because I could be somewhere and I'm out for lunch, right? <laughs> you could be in the greatest place of the world, but you don't realize it. I could be in the greatest moment of life, but I'm not aware of it. So Olam Shana Nefesh is the combination of all three. So the, the Al-Tarebbe is saying this, Vesahar Ashen, the mountain of smoke means Olam Shana Nefesh, on the level of time, and on the level of space, and on the level of soul, there was a fire, there was a passion, there was a transformation, His Hapchos, there was a transformation, that the divine infinity pervaded space, pervaded time, pervaded the nefesh, and now the world can become a vessel for Torah, for mitzvahs. In other words, a vessel that this becomes a conduit to access Ein Soif, as he explained in the previous Maimer. That's Vesahar Oshen. Oilam Shana Nefesh. And the Altar continues, Veteva HaOshan, the nature of smoke, is Sha'ila, which ascends, Kshemiskar of La'esh, as it gets close to the fire, madlikumach is a sa'ish, but davershashan yaitzimimeno. Can further become flammable and also bring the fire to that object from where the smoke is coming out. The smoke itself accelerates and could increase sometimes the fire in that which the smoke is coming out from. And here too. By the mountain smoking, that smoke opened up the opportunity for there to be a fire, for there to be the flow of the sounds and the torches, the that's the flux of Ratzoy, fire and shuv, water, running and returning, which is the basis of holiness, the rhythm of Ratzoy Vashayv, as explained earlier. So through the mountain smoking, which represents what? The fact that the Gashmis, the animal soul, is going through a transformation. 
And whenever it's going through a transformation, there's going to be smoke and there's going to be fire. And that's how godliness could live in you. Godliness can't live in deadness. It can't live in a vacuum. It can't live if nothing is happening. Something has to be happening. Something in Yiddish is an expression, Sadaf Brennan. Something has to burn, burn in me. <laughs> Rabbi Adin Steinzelt, Rabbi Adin Evanisha was once in Stanford University in California. <clears throat> the rabbi told me, he was speaking to the students, and he said, you know, we always like to call the Jewish people Ur Lagoyim, because God tells the prophet Isaiah, Ur Lagoyim Nesaticha. Right? You're a light unto the nations. So he says there are two types of lights. One is, <laughs> there's a fire burning, and when there's a fire burning, you become a light, because fire is a source of light. He says, for that, something has to burn inside of you. He said, a Jew is somebody who's on fire. Something is burning inside of you, and then you become a light unto the nations. He says, what we, we, got, what we want to do, he says, we want to take a picture of a flame, hang it on the wall, and say, now I'm a light unto the nations. No, 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 no. You have to burn. Stuff brennen. A light unto the nations means there's a fire burning inside of me. How do you create a fire burning inside of you? The fire needs fuel. That's his hapchos nefesh Bahamas. My animal consciousness, my reptilian brain, my mammalian brain, my, my prefrontal lobes, my, my, my consciousness is, is being elevated, it's being cultivated, it's being dealt with, it's being educated. And every day is an opportunity for, for deeper spiritual growth. And when you challenge yourself, when you challenge yourself, then the fire could continue to be maintained. And this, that's the defini- that's the meaning of the mountain Ushan smoking, and that's what allowed the koilas, the lapidim, the rotsay, and the shaf. And now the Altarebbe gets to the next step. What does the Pasuk say further? Now here, you have to pay attention. The nation saw, and they trembled. Says the Altarebbe, he says now something fascinating. If you look in the verse, this is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, there's a little bit of an anomaly. The verse starts over, Chalam, the entire nation saw the sounds and the lightning and the shoifer and the mountain smoking. And then it continues, and the nation saw and they trembled and they stood afar. Why does it say again, the nation saw? It could have said, V'chalam, Rayim, V'shakailas, V'shalapidim, V'shalashayfer, V'shara Ashen. Vayanu, they trembled, Vayamdu Meirachek. That's not what the Torah says. The Torah says, the whole nation saw the sounds, the lightning, the shoifer, and the smoke. And then again, and the nation saw, and trembled, and went far away. They stood from a distance. Says the Al-Tareb, it's two different types of nations. It's a Gevaldike Chiddush. There's two different categories the Torah is talking about. The first pause, the first half of the Pasek, V'chalam Royim, is talking about the Jewish people. The end of the Pasuk, Vayara Am Vayanu, he says, is talking about the Erev Rav. It's talking about the multitudes, the masses, that ascended from Egypt, that left Egypt together with the Jewish people. And they joined the people of Israel when they saw the miracles and they saw the massive revelations and the extraordinary display of God's prowess. They joined the Jewish people in the departure from Egypt. Says the Alter Rebbe, they did not see the sounds or the torches or the shoifer. Or the smoke. How did it affect them? They stood from far. That's why it says twice in the Pasuk. 
That's one part of the nation. That's the Jewish nation. This is already a whole new experience that came from who? From the Erev Rav. This is how the Alter Rebbe explains it in this Maimer. What does this mean? The word Kailas means sounds. But just like when we produce a sound today, we know every sound creates a wave. It has an impact. The miracle of radio, for example, was the ability to simply be able to access, to detect what lay in the sound wave so that I could speak here and somebody sitting in Melbourne, Australia or Sydney, Australia or Johannesburg or Manchester or London or even a few blocks down can hear my voice. That was because every coil produces what's called a hamshach, it produces a flow. It creates a sound wave, and the waves travel. And if you have, we never had the equipment, we never had the instruments, we never had the kalim to detect it, to pick it up. Once we developed those kalim, the world changed. Radio, television. Today we have gamzum l'toiva. And the hundreds and thousands of methods that people used to communicate to each other where the world became one small bedroom and I could sit here in my office in my home, 9J Court in Muncie, and speak to people all over the world. So Kailas, the Alter Rebbe says, a sound, when you say they saw the sounds, it represents essentially a flow, a revelation, a communication from the light of infinity. And that means, practically, that the light of infinity is dwelling and manifesting in that which is in that which is completely one with Him. Meaning, the only way the Eirein Seif can dwell within me is if I open myself up to infinity. And that's what bittel means. The word bittel is usually translated as nullification. What does that really mean? What it really means is I cannot allow the blockages of my ego, of my I, to eclipse the flow of infinity because infinity means that it's everything. It's all-inclusive. So he says, for for the light of Einsayf to dwell and be expressed within the human being is it's that which sheds the layers and the voices that tell me that I'm separate, that I'm detached, that I'm broken, that I'm fragmented, that I am outside of Ein Saif. Ein Saif means infinity, it's limitless, it's all-inclusive, it's oneness. That's what Ein Saif is. Ein Saif means the light of oneness, which means, what does the light of oneness mean? The expression of oneness, the way oneness is experienced in a person. That can be experienced only through Bittl, which means through shedding those layers inside of me that ascertain or try to ascertain that I'm separate. O this bittel, this bittel, this experience of oneness, this experience of shedding, of letting go of all the voices in me, all the aspects in me, that separate me from my truth. What is my truth? My truth is, I am part, I am one with Hashem, I am one with Ein Saif. 
It comes from the fact that the soul is moved. Mispoil means, comes from the word pu'ula. The soul is moved. The soul is activated. The soul is deeply, deeply moved. From the deepest parts of the heart and of the human being. I could be moved externally by something. He's saying the soul is, that doesn't create this bittle. This bittle comes from the fact that the soul is internally moved from something very, very profound that allows it to open up to something new. What is it? Since the soul is created, the person is created, and every person is mortal and finite. The soul is moved by the consciousness of infinity, which is not finite. And the soul becomes aware that no thought can grasp the ultimate truth of reality. In other words, the ultimate truth of reality cannot be grasped through any thought. It's not what you're thinking. It's not like you tell a person, you know, the way I'm thinking, the way you're thinking about things can be enhanced or can be enlightened or can be elevated. That's very true in life. But here he's saying something else. We come to realize, the soul comes to realize that the problem is not what I'm thinking. The problem is that I am thinking. The problem is not the nature of the thought. Change, change your mind, change your find. Change your thoughts, change your reality. Yeah, like the ads. Change your mindset and everything changes. That's all good, geschmack. But that's not the vart. The vart is that the challenge is not what I'm thinking. The challenge is that I am thinking. It's thought that's the problem. I'm not saying the problem. It's thought that's the challenge. Because thoughts are formulations of reality within letters. Thoughts are ways of defining reality, and reality can't be defined. And that's the meaning of the words that comes from the Zohar. No thought can grasp him at all. It's not the type of thought. It's thought. It's the very experience of thought, just like words. Concretize concepts, and they put them into words and sentences and paragraphs, and that's why we speak different languages. And if I speak one language, you can't understand me if you don't know that language. And conversely, thoughts also, we think in languages. This one thinks in Yiddish, and this one thinks in English, this one thinks in Russian, or this one thinks in Hebrew, or whatever language you uh, you uh, think in. Because even thoughts are formulation of ideas in concrete ways. Machshava is the way we define reality. And the Alter Rebbe says, but reality can't be defined because it's ain't soif. When the soul becomes aware of this, when a finite soul becomes aware of the truth of infinity, it's transformative. And for this, a person needs very deep meditation, very deep awareness that allows me to go to a place that's deeper than awareness, that's deeper than thought, that's deeper than machshava. To be able to let go of even machshava, to be able to let go even of thoughts. Because even thoughts are the way my brain is trying to wrap itself around reality. You guys are with me? This is very, very heavy. So the Alter Rebbe says, this is what creates Bittl. When a soul, a person, I am created. I do think. I do speak. Look who's talking. I should think as much as I speak, would be good. But I do think, I do speak. 
We're fine. Every, every person is finite. I'm finite physically and I'm finite spiritually. There's the way I grasp reality. There are the boxes in which I fit in my reality into. There are the parameters. Each of us has our own identity, our disposition, our genetic makeup, our physiological makeup, our mental makeup. Each one of us is a nivra. I'm created. And creation means I'm a balgvul. I have boundaries. I'm finite. But the soul also has that ability to become a weir. At least to some degree. To some degree, because all awareness is already a compromise of the truth. But at least to some degree, the soul could become aware of the fact that it's unaware. The soul can become aware of something we call ain't safe. And it's not something, it's everything. It's that reality in which there's oneness. And there's no finiteness. And the boundaries of mortality, the boundaries that make us frail, cease to exist. The truth that this, that reality cannot be grasped by any machshava, by any thought. When the soul experiences that, or when the soul is opened up to that, he says, That's called That is a coil, that is a voice, that is a sound that communicates Ein Saif infinity, which is unlimited, into a space of finiteness. And that's life-changing. That's what Bittl is. That is life-changing because I, I could never go back to the ego in the same way. Once a person experiences that organic spiritual oneness that pervades every nook and cranny of existence, once a person experiences that sense of cosmic oneness and supercosmic oneness, and it's not a oneness that I can explain with mathematics, through mathematics, or explain through logical equations, or experience even through thought, It's where thought has to graduate and yield and surrender to that which transcends thought because the very experience of thought is already a compromising and mitigating and diluting and watering down reality. Thoughts are important, but thoughts have their parameters, they have their limits. So when the soul becomes aware of this, when there is a revelation of this ain't safe, when when bleak vul, comes into the world of Gvul, when the consciousness of Bli Gvul somehow enters into the mental space of Gvul, that creates a bittle. I, I, I just let go. I let go of the blockages, I let go of the concealments, I let go of the ego. And that's when the I could become a conduit for the Ein Soi, for the infinity. That's when I, we, become an embodiment of the consciousness of infinity, of oneness, that flows through us. There's a seamless flow now between the source of reality and every single one of us. That's v'chalam royim es The nation saw, they felt, they experienced the koilas. What's the koilas? The koilas is a sound is what allows communication. You're sitting in one place, but your voice, your coil, is that which emerges from you, and it creates a wave, and it impacts the wave, and it travels into another person's dimension, into another person's brain, into another space. So the chalam roim is hakoilas, the koilas that came from Ein Soif means that bleak wool traveled, so to speak, 
and entered into the domain of the consciousness of Gvul, which is based on consciousness. We live with consciousness. We live with some type of awareness. But when that awareness is opened up to the truth that all is one, that all is infinite, that creates the abitl. And the soul is so moved by that because you're never the same person. You're not the same person again. You realize who you are. You're ain't safe. You're part of Hashem. Avol Edev Rav. That's the first half of the Posik. Now we come to the second half of the Posik, the Erev Rav. The Erev Rav were also there. He said, They didn't have the energy or the capacity. And this experience of being moved to this degree, from the awareness, from the meditation that comes, from the infinity, from the truth of the Ein Soif itself, so to speak. An example to explain this, you know what they're mostly moved from? They get affected from the movement, from the motion, from the orbit of the galaxies, and their greatness, and their height, their size, their mass, sheer gadol kolkach, which is incredibly stupendous, beyond what we can imagine, the size of some of the planets, and some of the stars, and some of the galaxies. And that touches them very deeply. But this is being moved by yesh, by the concretization of the divine, in the miracle of creation. But from infinity itself, that which that which has no end and no beginning, they're not moved at all. It doesn't touch them. And that's why in a few weeks, in Parshish Kisisa, Moshe Rabbeinu ascends on the mountain, and they see that he's not coming down. And the Eriv Rav comes, and what do they say? They come to Aaron and they say, We want Elohim Asher Yel We want a God that walks in front of us. They need to see God with their physical eyes. That's the Eriv Rav. They need to see God with their physical, material eyes. What is the Alter Rebbe saying here? He says, the Eid of Rav did not have the Kayach and the Hispilus. Now, if you don't have Kayach, you don't have Hispilus. In order to be moved, you need to have strength. You need to have energy. <laughs> Sometimes I just don't have energy to be moved. He doesn't just say, They didn't have that ability. They didn't have that energy, that Kayach. To be able to be moved by something, you have to be open to it. You have to be ready for it. And you also have to have energy for it. It's all part of it. There was once, uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe once made a siyum on Maseches Yuma, it was Vav Tishrei Lamed Aleph, 1970. So he spoke about a Jew who tells Hashem, he said, I have no energy and therefore I have no time. <laughs> to do tshuva for all my transgressions. You know, people say, I have no time. 
What it really means is I have no energy. Because if I would have the energy for this, I would create time. For certain things, I create time. <laughs> so the Rebbe says, he doesn't, tell, he doesn't tell God, I don't have time for tshuva. He says, I don't have energy, and therefore I don't have time. <laughs> Once you don't have energy, you talk you don't have time. You'll see you don't have time. <laughs> it's going to work out already. <laughs> if you have energy, you have time. If I don't have mental space, I don't have time either, because I'm just bogged down. So there's always an excuse there's always, we know subconsciously when you don't want to do something, right? You always have a reason to become busy with something else. You know when people come into their office and they decide today is cleanup day. Really? For two years you didn't clean up. But today you had to do something that you don't want to do. So it became cleanup day and then suddenly two hours later, oh, I don't have time. <laughs> says here, we're not just moved by something. You have to be ready to be moved by it. You have to be open to it. You could feel and sense and know the greatest and the deepest. But if, if I don't have the kayach, if I don't have the capacity, if I don't have the tools, the instruments, the sensitivity, it won't talk to me. Two people could be sitting at the same class. Two people could be sitting in the same space at the feet of the same person. Two people could be in the same moment or at the same site, and one person, their life is changed. And the other person barely even notices. <laughs> they barely notice. One person, you sometimes, two people are sitting somewhere, one person hears something, and they're never the same. And another person, it's like, what did he say? <laughs> I was texting. So the Alter Rebbe says here that there was two experiences of Matan Torah. There was V'chala Amrayim Esakailas V'salapidim V'eskail Hashayfer. That was one experience of Matan Torah. There was another experience of Matan Torah. The Eriv Rav V'yara Am V'yanu V'yamdo Meirachik. Now he says it's not that they weren't affected. They were. It's not that they weren't transformed. They were. They were. They were affected very deeply. They ran to the distance. He said, but what was the difference? The difference was the hispilus, the move, the, the, the transformation that would not come from the Ein Saif itself. And he gives an unbelievable example. He says, what they, what they were flabbergasted from, just as a metaphor was, from science and physics, which is also from God, which is also from Hashem. That's the amazing element here. It's not that they weren't moved. They were. And they were moved by God. But from what? You study the planets. You study cosmology. You study astrophysics. You study astronomy. You study geology. Cellular biology. Ornithology. Yeah, study of birds, exactly. You study the world of botany. You study the world of, 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 of amphibious creatures. It's incredible. It's beyond incredible. I have no words. A normal person, you, you see what goes into the, to, to the composition of one atom, just one atom. <laughs> and how many atoms are there in a single drop of water? A number that I can't even utter. And I'm talking about just one atom. What goes into the combination, composition of one cell? 
and there are 60, 70 trillion cells in my body, I can't even, I don't even know what that number means. <laughs> I could deal with 10, 20, 30, 40, above that, uh, you know. One cell. Studying the body of an ant is already a lifelong goal. Study the composition of the brain of a bee, the world of insects, of reptiles. Every worm has its unique composition and its unique purpose and its unique contribution. Then he says, you go to the Galgalim, you see what's happening in outer space. The observable universe today, I believe, is 28 billion light years. And a light year, remember, light travels 186,000 miles per second. So imagine what a light year is. It's not a year of 365 days. It's a year of 186,000 miles per second. And I think the observable universe, observable with our telescopes, is approximately 28 billion light years. Could be today, it's already more. I have to research, I have to look. This was the number I saw some time ago. 28 billion light years. And the harmony and the synchronicity and just the fact of existence, to be able to study what happened in the millisecond after the Big Bang, and how exact the expansion had to happen right after the Big Bang to allow for the universe to simply exist, because if it would have expanded a little faster, everything would have just exploded. If it would have expanded a little slower, it would have crunched up in heat and become toast that you could eat for breakfast, but there wouldn't be a you or a breakfast to eat the toast. So the fine-tuning, the fine-tuning that had to happen in the first millisecond after the Big Bang is incredible. You're talking about not fine-tuning of, you know, relative fine-tuning that we do with our radios. You're talking about fine-tuning that statistically is mind st- is so mind-staggering that I'll be seichel according to logic, to believe that it happened by coincidence, you read a lot of blind faith. And that's just the Big Bang. For a universe even to exist, and then for the first cell to develop. And then for our planet to form and create a planet that supports life on it. What are the factors that are necessary in order to create a planet that supports life? All this is mind-staggering. And you don't have to go far. You could study a tree, study photosynthesis, study how a tree develops its roots, study how a chicken lays its eggs, study your circulatory system, your digestive system, study the system of oxygenation in your body or any other, any other organism that breathes. It's Kevaldike Spilus. It's Kevaldike Spilus. This is the Spilus we call from science, from physics. So the Alter Rebbe says, the aid of Rav is affected by this Gevaldik. But then he says, it's the Spilus of Yesh. <laughs> What's the Spilus of Yesh? It's the Spilus it's the, it's the excitement, the electricity that comes from the way infinity allowed itself to become concretized in identity, to become concretized in a tangible universe. I study the cell, which I put under my microscope. I study the galaxy, which I capture through my telescope. 
It's the way Ein Saif becomes formulated and concretized as a yesh. Here I can think about it. I can talk about it. I can grasp it at least to some degree. I can at least grasp the mystery of it and start working with it. He says, but the, from the, the Ein Saif itself didn't touch them. The Ein Saif itself is ayin. It's not yesh. Yesh means something. Ayin means nothing. We call the world yesh me ayin, something from nothing. Why? God is nothing? Yes. Why do we call God nothing? Because nothing is no thing. No thing. Nothing is no thing. The whole world comes from nothing, from no thingness. Not because God doesn't exist, because God transcends the definition of existence. Shem is not tangible. It's not a yesh, it's ayin. Ayin means no thingness. There's nothing concrete. There's no yesh. Don't grab it, because if I'm grabbing it, it's not it. The galaxy, at least, I could see, I could study, I can observe. There's indicators, at least there's an impact. Even the Big Bang, there's still the, the sounds, the sounds, right? The coilus of the Big Bang. That's how they figured out that it exists in the 1960s when they could pick up the sounds. Incredible. There's the light that comes from the stars. The, the, those, those stars may be gone, but the light is still traveling from so far. I think it takes eight seconds for the light of the sun to hit planet Earth. It takes eight seconds, and that's the sun. And those stars that are further away, it takes longer than eight seconds. So you can have stars that are gone, the light is traveling. So there's something concrete that we're grasping onto. And that's very powerful. And that's where the Erev Rav gets so excited. But from the Ein Soif itself, from the Ayin, doesn't talk to me. doesn't talk to me. So when Moshe Rabbeinu disappears, they say, we need a God that we can see. And this is the key. The Altarev says, I want a God that I can see. I want my physical eye to grasp God. That's the voice of the Eden. I want God. I want God. I need meaning. I need purpose. I need depth. I need truth. But I want the yesh. <laughs> I want the yesh of it, not the ayin of it. And that's the difference. The chelik elekami mal mamish, the neshama of the Jew, vachala amroyim esakoilus. They see, they experience, they're moved by the Ein Saif itself, by the Ayin. The Erev Ravayar Ambayanu Vayamdu Merachik. They stand afar. Because in the Ein Saif, there's no I left. Why? Why do I need the Yesh? I need the Yesh. Because in the yesh, my yesh continues to exist. In the ayin, my yesh becomes one with the ain saif. You need kayach for that. You need energy for that. You need courage. You need confidence for that. The Eid of Rav says, I want God. But I want to be able to point. I want that my physical eye should say, ah! Ah, here it is. In other words, I want the yesh of Elikus. I want Elikus, but I want yeshes. So by Martin Turner, they saw there's a lot, a lot of stuff going on, but they stood far away. <laughs> when there's a fire, as the Baal Shem Tov once said, either you stay far away and you enjoy it from far, if you want to go in, you have to be ready to go in all the way. I can't put my hand in the fire and say, you know, I'm going to dip my hand into the fire like you dip your hand into the water. 
or you go to the lake, or you go to the beach, and you put your feet into the beach, you put your feet into the water, and you experience the sensation of the water on your legs, and it's very geschmack. With fire, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> if you put your legs in the fire, you got to go completely. If you want to, now if you don't want to, if you don't want to go, you stay far. God is fire. Either you stay far away, or you're ready to completely become submerged in Ein Seif. And what does it mean to be submerged in Ein Seif? It means that I let go of the last space of egotism, of detachment, of separateness. I allow the consciousness of oneness to flow through me. That moves Neshama Sisro. That moves the soul of a Jew to the core of his or her reality. In the deepest place it moves them. And that's what Bittal is. The Eid of Rav also gets excited. But what? The science, the physics, the cosmology, the Galgalim. And there's a lot there because it really also comes from God. So here's the key. You could see the Ein Siphon science and physics if you don't let it become a blockage, if you don't let it become something that blocks. It could be something that blocks you from the Ayin when you get stuck in the Yesh. It could be something that's translucent and it takes you to the Ayin. Everything, every cell can take you to the Ayin. Every atom can take you to the Ayin. Every dynamic in creation can take you back to the Ayin. But you have to be able to be open to that. The Erev Rav says, I want a God that I should be able to. <laughs> Capture. With my eyes. With my senses. With my sensations. With my emotions. With my experience. With my thoughts. With my words. And that they wanted Hashem. It's not that they didn't want Hashem. But they wanted the way godliness is translated in Tiesh. So by Matan Torah, what happened? <laughs> they stood far away. They knew there's something here that's not for me. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy the spectacle. I'm going to enjoy the drama. Via Nu, it affected them. There's the Hispilus from Ain Saif, and there's the Hispilus from the Yesh. And that's where Yiddishkeit begins. <laughs> Yiddishkeit, according to the Alter Rebbe, begins not in the faith that God exists. Real Yiddishkeit begins in the awareness and the experience of absolute of Ein Soif itself. Ein Soif Baruch Hu Atzmai She'ein That the soul is moved by that. The soul is moved. The more ayin, the more the soul is moved by it. The more no-thingness, the less yesh, the more it's moved. Because the more emes, the more authenticity. The less my thought, the, less, the, the fact that my thought, my thoughts don't grasp it, that moves the soul more, not less. Because it, it opens me up to the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate truth of everything. Which is ayin, it's not yesh. It's no-thingness. Thingness is just a trickle. Thingness is just a trickle. The way infinity is concretized in a particular form called yeshes, which is very valuable. We love science. We love physics. 
We thank God every day for the world. Look at the snow outside today, Givaldik. You could see the snow from your window. Something special. And there's a bird that just went up to the top of the tree right in front of my house. And it's singing the praises of God. I don't know who's enjoying the snow. More me or the bird. I don't know. Shleim HaMelech understood the language of birds. Rabbi Yechina ben Zaki understood the language of birds. I enjoy watching them. I don't understand their language. All the Halalukas, Pesukah de Zimra, we extol the God who is behind the world. Halalukah, Halalukas Hashem in HaShemayim, Halalukah Bamroimim, Shemesh, Yareach, Koich Veyoyer, Taninim, Tahoimus, Eish, Varet, Shela, Kitoy, Ruach, Saara, Gvarim, Gvoyes, Etzpriya, Rozim, Chaya, Behema, Remes, Tzipra, Konov. You guys know what I'm talking about? This is every morning davening. What happened? We're eight of Rav. No. Because the way we experience divinity through science and through physics and through the world of botany and through the world of mammals and birds and fish and reptiles and through our own organism, it's all the way the Ein Soif is translated, is concretized in our world. But you don't get stuck there. The Yesh takes you back to the Ayin. The Yesh points to the Ayin. The Yesh says, I am a manifestation of the Ayin. The Erev Rav says, we want to reduce God to that which we can capture with our physical eye. And that makes all the difference. This needs more explanation <laughs> and illustration and application, which Be'ezer Hashem we're going to do in the next year, which is going to be Thursday morning. I'm going to take a few questions now, just to announce as follows. Tonight, we're going to have a very interesting program. Tonight, Monday evening, 10 o'clock p.m., on Zoom and on the yeshiva.net, there's going to be a live conversation between myself and Rabbi Shays Taub. And I called it a Chabad conversation, Hiskashrus and Shlichus in 2022. This is a conversation designed for Chabad Hasidim or people who are very interested in that world. And we're going to talk about two very... Uh, very uh, relevant ideas in the world of Chabad, known as Iskashrus, which is a connection to a Rebbe, and Shlichus, which of course was the Rebbe's vision of changing the world, in 2022. This is based on a lot of questions that I have received and Rabbi Tauba has received. So this is going to be tonight at 10 o'clock p.m. We're going to take questions as well. It's going to be on Zoom and on the yeshiva.net. You'll be able to watch it. And it should be interesting probably. That's tonight. Tomorrow is Tuesday, 12.45. We have our women's class. It's going to be live streamed on the yeshiva.net or you could come in person for women and girls 24 Shay. Thursday morning, we will again have our regular shir. Hopefully, we'll be able to continue and finish this incredible mimer about Mount Sinai smoking. Okay, questions. Question number one. Our friend from Pakistan. Ah, so now I understand that the godly flame in our soul can burn because of the fuel of our animal soul. Our animal soul is the food that allows the godly flame to burn. Yes, yes, that's exactly the point. And that's the Gewaldik Echidosh that the Rebbe is saying, that the fire needs fuel. And even if it's not completely burnt up, but there's smoke. Where there's smoke, there's fire. I can't completely burn up my animal soul. 
I'm not a person who lives in a place where my animal and my godly soul will become one. Necessarily. But nonetheless, there's always smoke, the ability to affect it. And when you affect your animal soul, there's smoke, and that's what allows the flame to continue. Yes, beautifully, beautifully put. I guess what he means is that it could be that the smoke itself could be flammable, you know? Smoke itself is often flammable. It could be that's what he means. What does this say about our own ability for efficiency in teaching and inspiring if even at Matan Torah there were two different groups? There were the Jewish people and the Erev Rav. And the most obvious difference is where they each come from. But we have no control over where we come from. Great question. The Erev Rav that we talk about here is the one inside of us. These two groups exist in each and every one of us. Generally in Chassidus, in my modern, when you speak about this group and that group, you're not talking about two separate groups. You're talking about the two groups inside of each and every one of us. There's the part of us that is moved by Ein Saif itself. And there's the part of us that's moved by the way the Ein Saif is concretized into a Yesh. And the Ein Saif itself, I don't know, it just doesn't speak to me. I, 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 don't, get, I don't get anything from it. And the Alter Rebbe says... That's a blockage. That's a blockage that the soul is aware of. That blockage that doesn't allow for real oneness, for real celebration, for real bittel. It's always reducing God to my terms. <laughs> I need my eye to control it, my eye to see it. The real experience of oneness is when I let go of everything. Of course, as I always say, for this you need real trust. <laughs> if my trust has been betrayed, it's going to be very hard for me. That's why the word bittel some people hear the word bittel and their heart melts in ecstasy. Some people hear the word bittel and they're triggered very badly. I know it. You know, many years I've been giving shurim and I remember in Muncie when I started, there was somebody when I would say bittel, I would see that he would literally get upset at me. And then later I found out that for him the word bittel meant, I don't even want to say what it meant, but it meant the furthest thing that could be from the bittel of the Alter Rebbe. So there has to be the element of trust. Next comment. We have an insert in our fireplace. It is a wood stove fitted into the fireplace. It burns wood 24 hours a day. We regularly stroke, stoke it. We poke the coals a bit. We add more wood. It gives out a steady, consistent heat, creating a very warm atmosphere in the home of the Baran. It takes work of several steps, but it's very much worth it. Using the gas, forced air is much different. It goes on and off, so the house gets warm, then cools, then warms, then cools. All one needs to do to change the setting is stand up and walk a few steps and press a button. A much different experience, in my humble opinion, the work put into a wood stove heat is beneficial. And I assume, Rabbanan, you mean this also as a metaphor for life. To feel or think that we have to achieve 100% bittel can be intimidating. Don't take it that way. In my opinion, bring this feeling into our everyday moments more and more. That's the ultimate purpose. None of us live with 100% bittel of this level 100% of the time. But the more we experience this flavor at whatever level, we can bring this experience back into our everyday moments. Right. And... Uh, Yes, and we're going to see in the next year what this what this means in life. Like, you'll say, okay, so I'm moved by the ayin, I'm moved by the yesh. Like, how does that translate? That will leave Be'ezer Hashem for the next class. I'm going to wish you all an amazing and beautiful and inspiring day.
Bye bye. I have a say in the We have a say in the you can't understand Tanya without the second half, which is Nagina. So you have to have an Aginah, so um, uh, where is the Alter Rebbe said it? You don't know? It's, it's, it's in a Sikha from the Rebbe Dayat. I think Shavu is Tavshin Dalat. Yeah. I think yeah, so. It's okay. There's a story that the Alter Rebbe published Tanya, and the Chassidim came to him and they said, we still don't understand. So he said, you're missing the second half. They said, what's the second half? He said, Nagina. Song, music. And then Al Tarebbe made a say that, that Nagina should be part of the life of the Chsidim. So, how can you study Tanya with the Nagina without the Rebbe? Well, we have the Nagunim. <laughs> where where yeah. do we have the Nagunim? The Nagunim, yeah, they're very. Chabad Nagunim are all over. Al Tarebbe's Nagunim, they have a lot of websites for the Nagunim. So, we just we, we, we add the Nagunim to the Tanya? Yeah, part of the life of Chassidim was always when they davened, they would stop and sing a niggin. Or in the middle, they would sing a niggin with the words. Or in between different sections. And by Fabrengans, they sang Nagunim. And Shabbos at the table, and Yomtev at the table. And when they sat together, they sang Nagunim. Sometimes in the middle of a shir, or after, or before. Nagunim became a major part of it because a niggin gives you access to a deeper reality. You know, Nagina opens you up, like we're learning here, access to Ayin. Nagina brings us closer to the Ayin. Looking at the voices, looking at the voices, you wrote the Kolot. V'cholam ro'im et ha'kolot, Nagina. Nagina. yeah. So it's a communication from the, a real Nigin, a real Nigin, that, especially from a tzaddik, it, communi- it, it brings the insight. In many ways, I see this as the difference. If you hear the Alter Rebbe's Nagunim and you hear some of the classical music, some of the classical composers are fabulous. I mean, right? Then you hear Lahavdal Alter Rebbe's Nagunim or other Nagunim of that caliber. What's the difference? Yeah? Like the, the, the classical is like the Erev Rav. Yeah, the classical or the Erev Rav, yeah. It's, it's brilliant. It's fantastic. The composition, the, the genius of the composition, the rhythm, Right? the ups and the downs, the exhilaration and the sadness. But it's, it's, the, it's always yesh. It's always the yesh. You hear the, the human talent, the, the, the human creativity, right? It's the way the ayin is translated into yesh. The Altarebbe's Nagunim, you hear the ayin. It's also very talented. It's, it's brilliant. But generally the Nagunim, especially from Chabad, from Chabad Nagunim, the Chassidim, and never mind of the Rebbe's, it's, it's, it's the ayin. It's ain't safe. It's ain't safe. And you have to be ready for it. Yeah, he says you have to have koyach. <laughs> you have to have koyach. You have to have the energy. And you have to have the faculty. You have to have the, the, the sense for it. 
it's a certain type of a spilus. It's a spilus from from from, from Pnevius, not from Chetzayis. And you have it within Yiddishkeit itself. The Erev Rav here are not some gangsters. We're talking about inside the Erev Rav inside of me. There's the Erev Rav inside of me. <laughs> it gets in the spot, but I want the yeshes. I want the chitzenius. <laughs> I want, you know, the way it's, it's, it's tangible, that I could like it. So if, if it is so, then the, then the classical music can also have the connection to the end soul. So everything, everything, the yesh of the world is also ain't safe. Science is ain't safe. Physics is ain't safe. The galgalim is ain't safe. Ain't malvado. But the question is, what do I, what do I see? The eight of love gets stuck in the yesh. The, the yesh may ayin. The yesh is may ayin. The yesh is from ayin. So the erev that is stuck in the yesh is we. The way we listen to the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the eight of Rav inside of me. I'm not talking about the eight of Rav over there. When I listen to it, I can get stuck in the yesh, which is which is which is a shell, which is a husk. Next year, I'm going to tell you a whole amazing insight from the Balshamtiv that really brings this home. I, I was involved with a small Shabbos celebration one time, and someone brought a, a guitar to the to the afternoon meal. And I, I, I was actually leading the Shabbos, and I wanted to, um, you know, fix that situation. So I explained somehow Hashem helped me with my words, but I explained that the energy coming through an instrument is not as, let's say, high or spiritual or, you know, bittel as music coming just through people's voices. And the person heard it and put away the guitar. And wow. See, that's a beautiful way of communicating a message. It's a very deep mime. This is a very, very deep mime. This is not uh, child's play. This is very, very heavy without it ever saying. That the eight of Rav's chesodim is they weren't a spall from Hashem. But when it came to the eagle, they're the ones who made the calf. Why? By him, the calf is not idolatry. That wasn't the point. Some people use it for idolatry. It's the God that I could grasp with my eye, my retina, and my brain want to wrap themselves around this God. Because by Matan Teira already, by Matan Teira already, they didn't experience the emes of Matan Teira, which is the ayin. They took it with a yeshes. You take it with a yeshes, it's already distorted. So later, when Moshe is gone, and they panic. They're like, I want a God that I could see. That's why I like Moshe. <laughs> I like Moshe because I can see him. Give me a calf. Give me an eagle. Yeah, so, so the Eid of Rav exists in each and every one of us. The Eid of Rav is that part that, that always wants to hold on to the God of Yeshus. <laughs> to, to the godliness, the way it becomes, it trickles down into my Yesh. And then I don't have to shed. I, I don't need that bitter. I don't. I don't need to shed all my layers. I. I. I, I could re- retain my blockages. <laughs> we have. We have to find the fight inside of the Arab inside of ourselves. Of course, of course. All these my modern. When Alter speaks about Amalek, he speaks about Esav. He speaks about Adiv Rav. We're talking about the part in the soul. This is a part of every person. We're not learning about Eid of Rav that lived thousands of years ago. We're learning about the Eid of Rav that exists inside of us. 
Yeah, yeah. We work these things through. It's part of the experience. The Eid of Nav are spiritual. They're spiritual people. They're not... Uh, what does it mean? Because they're not the Eid of Nav are religious and spiritual people. But they're looking for the Alakos. They're looking for Alakos in our Yeshes de the bittel, the bittel pnimi, the bittel pnimi, the, the pure elokus ain't soif mamish, that's not tangible, that's no thingness. That lace machshavet fisabeh. Doesn't speak to me, I don't know. Make it concrete. It's very, it's, I have no word, it's hard to talk about this a lot because the more you talk about it, the more I make it into a yesh. The lady asked, what is the Erevav? Okay, we'll talk more about this. Thank you, man. Everybody have a beautiful day. Yeah. Sending you my love and my blessings. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, here he's talking about the eight of Rav, that they're nispal, they're, they're, they're moved, they're, they're affected. <laughs> they're part of it. They left Egypt. They left Egypt because they're like, wow, wow, this is amazing. You're talking about people, they read, Textbooks on chemistry, it's one of the tragedies that when you read high school textbook in chemistries, you don't see the hispilus, you don't see the, the ecstasy. Like, whatever you believe, you're religious, you're secular, you're an agnostic, where is the excitement that we want to inculcate in the hearts of our youth, in the hearts of our 10-year-olds, our 12-year-olds, our high school kids, from a DNA molecule? from understanding the contribution of lightning to amino acid, from understanding how indispensable worms are to making the earth fertile, from understanding what ants do for the ecosystem, from understanding the system of the orbit of the galaxies. Where is the excitement? It's exciting. It's it's incredible. We often sh- they often destroy it completely because I guess that may bring to questions. <laughs> if it's so exciting, wow, is there maybe an author? Is there maybe a purpose? Is there maybe a meaning? So we like reduce it to just like random facts called the laws of nature, as though the laws of nature explain something. Why are there laws of nature? Huh? Of course. On the contrary. On the contrary, when there's divine awareness, you always become aware of the infinity within everything. And then you want to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Some people say that Abraham, Avram, was the first scientist. Because by discovering monotheism, he taught, number one, that the cosmos is working in a system. There's laws of nature, because there's oneness, monotheism. It's not polytheism with a billion different gods responsible for different forces. There's oneness. That oneness is first and foremost translated in science. The scientist searches for the laws of nature, for the patterns in nature, for the rhythms of nature, for the principles that make up our universe and make up our planet. And number two, it teaches you that as much as you grasp, there's so much more. And that's also the search of science. It's the search to, for more depth and more authenticity. So, so, so real amuna is the springboard for all science. Okay. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. 
please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.